Hello. Welcome, everybody, uh, to the Spoken Word Sessions. My name is Jess. I'm a project officer at Multicultural Arts Victoria. And uh, Multicultural Arts Victoria has been working in partnership with the Melbourne Festival as part of our Igniting Imaginations program to run various events throughout the festival. Um, before I get started, I want to pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land, the Wurundjeri and the Boonwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation. Pay my respects to elders past and present. So as part of Igniting Imagination, we've run these spoken word sessions here. Um, we had the first one last week, and this is the second and final one. We've also run a series of free music events at the Foxtel Festival Hub, which is just over there. You can see the tents every Sunday throughout the festival from three till five, showcasing incredible talent from our emerging refugee and asylum seeker communities. We've got the final session on Sunday, if you're interested. I'll tell you a bit more about it later. Um, and Igniting Imagination also includes an amb ambassadors program, which uh, showcases leaders in their artistic practice and representing the changing face of diversity in the arts. Got to thank a few people um, that make it possible. Emily from the Melbourne Festival um, and also our sponsors, the Scanlon Foundation, uh, Creative Victoria and Australia Council for the Arts. So today we have three amazing poets performing for you today. We've got the Victorian Slam champion, Abe Nook. We've got Abdul Hamoud. And first up, the very beautiful Ebony Moncrief. Ebony was raised in Birmingham, Alabama. She's a writer, performance poet, and inspirational speaker. And she's a producer of the Open Mic Night, Voices at the Attic, which, if you don't know, is a fantastic event at Ferdy Dirk every second Tuesday. Yeah, it's brilliant. And if you want to test your uh, spoken word skills, that's a really great supportive place to do it. Or if you just want to go and see some amazing emerging poets, also a great place. Her vibrant storytelling style engages, entertains, and provides audiences with an honest look at the person behind the words. She's recently been involved in Common Ground, which um, is a project Multicultural Arts Victoria produced, facilitating a series of interfaith spoken word workshops alongside Abdul Hamoud, their old friends. Please welcome Ebony to the stage. What was his name, Lewis? Where'd he go? I'm having difficulty rotating this mic up. Oh, there we go. It's a fancy microphone. Hey, everybody, how we're doing? I like crowd participation. Come on, you know, let's, yeah, we're here to receive people's words, the things that go on in our heads. So first, before I get started, I have to thank Jess Fairfax, Multicultural Arts Victoria, for inviting me to participate today. Obviously, the Melbourne Festival and M Pavilion for in just creating this beautiful space here. I am Ebony Moncrief, and I invite you to consider to reflect upon, to perform a meditation on what makes up a person. What does the human condition consist of? Are we merely a myriad of memories, stories waiting to be told? Memories, some so alive, others run and hide into the dark recesses of the mind in order for the body to survive. Memories, a menagerie of people, 
places of what we decide to hold on to and what we decide to let go of. Memories, architect of reality, creator of perception, engineer of truth. What makes up a person? There was a special toothpaste I'd use to brush her teeth. The film and buildup on my grandmother's dentures felt like the grit of a pear against my fingertips. Saliva stained and whatever she ate that day dripped as I brushed them. This was my introduction to love. One of my earliest memories is from my first day of preschool. I was four. At my school, all the students would line up in the auditorium according to their year level. All the preschoolers in a row, first graders in a row, third graders, and so on. There were around 200 very loud four to 14-year-old voices giving life to air. Somehow, when the bell rang, I was left behind, immobilizing silence compounding emptiness, hollowing horror ran through my tiny little body in panic as I clutched onto my Minnie Mouse backpack. It felt like waiting on Christmas, but it couldn't have been more than a few minutes before someone found me. One year around Thanksgiving, an American holiday dedicated solely to being thankful, thankful to family, friends, thankful for life. All over the world, Americans celebrate Thanksgiving by sharing a meal with one another. In my house, we ate artery-clogging macaroni and cheese, turkey, buttermilk cornbread, collard greens, and sweet potato pie. At school, they ask each of us to bring in a donation so we can help a family in need celebrate Thanksgiving. The last day to bring in a donation came, so I ran into the kitchen, hopped on the bench, grabbed the only thing out of the cupboard, which was a dented can of peas. I placed the dented can of peas in my backpack, hopped off the bench, and ran for the door. My teacher asked for donations, so like a proud peacock, feather sprout, I walked to the front of the class and placed my donation, that dented can of peas, in the red and gold checkered box and walked back to my seat. We were always the last kids to get picked up from school, so when I finally got home, I saw my principal and two teachers walking from the kitchen and talking with my grandmother. I ran into the kitchen, hopped on the bench, and in the red and gold checkered box was a dented can of peas. In my final year of my bachelor's degree, I applied for and was accepted into an English research assistantship. I was urged by one of my lecturers to do so. When she received my application, she was surprised by my grade point average. She thought it would be higher. My grades didn't quite fit the prerequisite for the assistantship. She made an exception for me. I still struggle sometimes to see what she saw in me. One of the requirements for the assistantship was to turn in a form to allow access to the university's library archives. I allowed the form's deadline to pass. In front of another research assistant, 
My lecturer asked, had I turned in the form. I laughed it off, saying no. Ebony, will you step into my office? She was a regal woman. She exuded this grace and confidence I'd soon longed, I'd since longed to know. I left her office with a greater understanding of responsibility, commitment, and simply following through on your word. My, real, my first real boyfriend and I started dating when I was 18. I loved him as much as you can love a person without loving yourself. The first time we broke up was because he thought I should have had my shirt buttoned up a little bit more and he thought I looked slutty. He didn't want his friends to think he was dating a loose girl. We dated on and off for two and a half years. In October 2000, a girl stopped me in the hall at school and gave me a yellow sticky note with the name Derek Hayes written on it and a phone number. She said, I think we might be related and walked away. Months passed and the sticky note got lost in the madness of a 17-year-old's bedroom until one day I found it stuck to the back of a book. I picked up the phone and dialed the number. Hi, may I speak to Derek? This is Derek, who is this? This is Ebony, a girl at school gave me your phone number and said we might be related. Oh, that was my niece. Did she tell you who I am? No. Apparently, Derek and his niece were flipping through my high school yearbook and saw my name and picture. So you said my niece didn't tell you who I am. No, she didn't say. She just said we might be related. I think it's best if you talk to your mom first and then call me back. I hadn't told my mom about the sticky note, but now I knew I was right. Why don't you just tell me who you are? I think it's best if you talk to your mom first. I don't understand why you can't just tell me what you want to say. This soap opera buildup was building, it was going and going, we back and forth, the back and forth. I am your father. Silence was broken, I can't remember by who. I do remember him asking to meet me and me saying, I think I need to talk to my mom first. I haven't seen my father since August 2001. Ten months later, on our second first date, I saw him. I instantly saw him, the kindness, the sincerity, the care in which I would be treated with. And I wanted to kiss him. My heart was racing with juvenile intensity. I placed his hand on my heart and we kissed our first kiss. For once, I was open to the possibility of not pushing someone away, for walls to come down to exist in the purity of who I am and what I claim as my identity. But sometimes, you don't know who you are well enough to share yourself with someone. I desperately wanted to get out of Alabama, a place where school excursions took us to churches where little black girls were blown up, where we can still see the past represented through artifacts such as water fountains marked for whites only, neighborhood, where neighborhoods where people who looked like me lived in were dilapidated and forgotten, a place where I felt like a nigger. With eyes deep in circumstance, even as a child, I knew that there was something more. Something deep from within me drove a lack of belief in education became my way out. 
A little after a month, a little over a month after graduating from university, I was driving across the country to work in a group home for at-risk youth, helping girls from Native American reservations with family histories of drug abuse, domestic violence. A girl who bounced from shelter to shelter after a house fire claimed not only the house, but also the life of her three-month-old brother. A girl born in America, therefore allowed to stay when her mother was deported back to Mexico. A girl whose mother was in prison, father was a born-again Christian, and brother had just committed suicide. She was the caregiver to her two younger siblings. She was 12, and I, I was older but still so young, trapped in a silent despair. I was so black in my head, I could not even see that I was in a tunnel. I couldn't help them then. In February, I began a Master's of Teaching program. The day my mind shut off and I was simply able to be, everything changed for me. I came to the ashram by chance. Had I had expectations of this place, they would have been defied. I entered a state of peacefulness and calm that's only achieved by taking time to care for your mind, your body, your essence. That calm felt like a leaf surrendering to the whims of the wind. Stripped back down to my exoskeleton, I realized my flaws were not flaws. They were parts of me, no longer immovable objects things I had to either change or learn to accept. I left the ashram a different version of myself, as I saw it a better version of myself. But you know, outside the ashram, I find it difficult to maintain all of those lessons, but the one lesson I will never let go of is the lesson of awareness. One day during the morning meeting, the Rishi, which is the ashram sage, in response to a question about doing drugs said, no one here is telling you not to do drugs, not to drink, not to eat meat, not to have sex. We do ask you not to while you're within this space and value our traditions. But when you're out in the world, all we say is act with awareness. Awareness of your actions, their effects on yourself, on your others, on the world around you. It seems so simple. Think before you act. The theme of the first slam I ever competed in was truth, dare, or double dare, which means I, along with other competing poets, had to pick on stage truth, dare, double dare. And through the urging of a friend, I chose double dare. Perform your poem as if you were James Brown. <laughs> When my name was called, I walked to the stage, my cardigan over my shoulders, head down a little bit. I popped up with a, ooh, baby, I got that feeling. And when I get that feeling, I begin to smile. Sometimes I feel like a head without a body, but still I smile. Words were flowing through terrified lips until I lost my words, triggering my automatic flight reflex. But for once, I didn't run. My feet were firmly planted on the ground. I heard snaps from the audience willing my words back to me. I began again. Ooh, baby, I got that feeling. 
I went on, lost my words again, but I finished. That was the moment I felt connected to humanity. That was the moment I really, truly felt accepted. The pain of my prior experiences were played out through words that now existed in the ether and no longer had to exist within me. I was a part of a community. What does the human condition consist of? I feel lost in the world at times. Internal framework called into question. The thoughts in my head, they don't always tell me what I want to hear. You think they and I would be on the same page, that we'd all be one, this big, happy family, eating dinners, playing board games. But that's not always the case. The past gets triggered by current emotion. Thoughts follow, connected, disconnected, disassociated pain. Defense mechanisms are like all machines. Eventually, they will stop working. The process of change is slow. It's hard to cease being something you've always been. Actions, reactions, patterns, memories stored within every inch of the bone. Knee-jerk and sensual, sometimes impetuous, always reflexive, done with little paws, reactionary claws. Self-perpetuating prophecies hold me by the neck, battling every day to get out, leaving imprints on the skin, but an imprint it's just an impression, a surface mark. I can live with a surface mark, an injured warrior still in the fight, taking excess emotion and turning it into energy, building up the discipline, trusting in my choices, traveling lighter and lighter with every breath that I take, lighter and lighter with each thought I forsake. These thoughts are not you. These thoughts are not you. These thoughts are not you. I will not be destroyed by them, consumed by them, confused by them. They will not lead the way. The process of change is slow, and it's definitely not a linear one, not a solitary one. Other wounded warriors, we all intersect, connect at different paces. We're billions of tectonic plates, moving and shifting at all times existing, colliding, learning, living together. So let's create change together. Lead by example, pitch in in some way. Imagine, close your eyes and imagine. Do nothing but listen to the sound of my voice. Feel nothing but the presence of the person next to you. And let's imagine. Imagine a world where simple things happen, where we make eye contact with a homeless person regardless if it makes you feel uncomfortable, where women are treated as we deserve to be because we literally bleed and endure pain for humanity's existence, where children are treated as innocents, not abused, misused, or consumed, where we are simply mindful of one another understanding that all we need is compassion, forgiveness, and love. Imagine, imagine, imagine if each of us does something, we could be heroes. Because if you think about it, 
we're all just wounded warriors in the midst of the process of change. Thank you. Ebony Moncrief. For those that have just joined, uh, you have stumbled upon spoken word sessions that have been put together through Multicultural Arts Victoria and Melbourne Festival. Um, there's three poets. We just heard from our first poet, Ebony Moncrief. I love that there's poetry blasting through the speakers in the middle of the city on a Thursday afternoon. That's awesome. Our second poet for today, Mr. Abdul Hamoud. Uh, Melbourne-based by way of Lebanon, writer and performer, most of his work revolves around current issues, including the constant state of war in the Middle East, cultural division, as well as the portrayal of masculinity. He's also a full-time student and an avid purveyor of starting books but not finishing them. I feel you, brother. Please welcome Abdul Hamoud. Since before my memories knew dates, I had this one uncle. Every time he saw me slouch or hunch over, he'd walk up behind me and bend me straight. Shoulders back, Habibi. Men walk proud. Men keep their heads up, puff their chests out, and stand tall. Honestly, men take up way more space than they need to. But I had this masculinity beaten into me. So I ate my oats, I did my push-ups and sit-ups, and I walked like the world was mine. My friends and I conquered the tallest spires, beat our chests and roared. Some would call us titans, but others would think us little more than oversized gorillas. We grew up too fast and wore meme mugs for masks, all in the hopes that we could erase any trace of ever feeling helpless in the past. We, Coca-Cola generation, born on fault lines, shook since birth and told to bottle it up. We, glass mansions with brick pattern wallpaper. We, who were unafraid to throw stones all the same. We, apologize. Forgive us, for we know not what we do. I know I am still changing. Cocooned within a facade, I'm on my way to butterflydom. And therein lies an insect the man I used to be would never have uttered the name of. Along with words like pretty, cute, lavender, rainbow, and I admit that I am wrong. I, masculine. I'm too arrogant to ask for directions. I mean, that's why it's taken me 23 years to find myself. I spend too much time pretending I am a man to cry. But my bed is a vessel for confessions and tears. It knows both too well. 
It's probably why I spend too much time getting out of it most mornings. Maybe we're just not done talking yet. And I'm not done crying. Thank you. Look at all these beautiful faces. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Abdul Hamoud, which is short for Abdul Rahman Rad Muhammad Khalil Muhammad Hamoud. Um, <laughs> Abdul's fine. Uh, although, if you can memorize that, there's no prize involved. I just want to hear you say it. Um, this is a really cool space. I never knew it existed until I was invited to perform here. This is awesome. I wish it was sunnier. Don't we all? Um, I'm going to try and get through this set as quickly as possible because I think it's a crime to be sitting down on a day like this. I think you should be walking around and soaking up the oxygen. Um, a little bit about me. I'm from Lebanon originally. Um, I came here when I was like three years old. My parents were escaping the war and everything that was going on there. Um, raised here. I've been back and forth between the two. Uh, I speak both languages and I try to incorporate as much as I can from you know my heritage and who I am into what I do, into this poetry thing. Um, as with a lot of people that started with uh, spoken word, I began with rapping. Uh, as, as every year six kid wanted to do, I, I wanted to be just like Eminem. Um, and so that sort of transformed into spoken word and here I am now almost six years later uh, into this performing thing and doing gigs like this in awesome spaces like here in front of people like you so this is yeah quite oh wow I didn't expect the applause break for that thank you thank you okay let's do some more poetry um, that's a good idea isn't it considering that's what I was invited for um, okay I like my parents I think you should. Um, I was away from Australia for a while. I was touring in the U.S. and I hadn't had, I hadn't had a home cooked meal in a while, a while. And um, yeah, I was starting to feel really, really nostalgic because all I really was trying to do was get away from the family. And then when I got back, it was really, it was weird. I, I, I didn't realize that I was missing him that much. So this poem came out of that. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقضى ربك ألا تعبد إلا إياه وبالوالدين إحسانا إما يبلغن عندك الكبر أحدهما أو كلاهما فلا تقل لهما أف ولا تنهرهما وقل لهما قولا كريما واخفر لهما جناح الذل من الرحمة وقل رب ارحمهما كما ربيان صغيرا أفكت أكسن بينز on that hospital bed. I was six years old and the hernia operation had taken almost no toll on me. Still, I cried and moaned so that my mother wouldn't leave my side. Now little did I know, she had no intention of doing so. She held my hand and stroked my hair while I dreamed of all the mjadro fatush she'd cook for me as soon as we got home. She knew all of my favorite meals. I must have etched them into her womb before she spent 14 hours pushing me out of it. The recipes are written in the curls and swirls of her fingerprints. She worked with her hands. God created them to knead ma'mul, chop pasta for tabbouleh, and roll water anib. 
Just as much as they were made for twisting ears, pulling hair, wiping tears, and forehanding faces, Mama, hold still. I will dig beneath every spot your feet have fallen until I have found the paradise you stand on. You've lost both parents and a daughter, so you've never felt the weight of the world on your shoulders. Instead, you crumple beneath the weight of our worlds. You carried the three children you had left like a pack mule, and you never let us fall off despite all the times we whipped you with our ungratefulness. Look at me, Mama. I'm built like the brick walls you broke through and gifted with your husband's broad shoulders. Climb on my back, Mama. You needn't walk anymore. Baba, we don't talk much. We certainly don't beat around the bush. Still, it was your silence that taught me how to tame the West Bank within me. You peel bills back whenever I told you I didn't need them. You work with your hands. God created them to fix faucets, build gazebos, and battle naysayers. Just as much as they were made for twisting ears, pulling hair, wiping tears, and backhanding faces. Baba, hold still. I will knock on your chest until your heart opens and you let me into the heaven you guard. You've lost four brothers in the worst ways, so, you, so the only weight you've ever felt was your, was your own, for you are made of stone. You, immovable object, you could not be made to do anything, and you literally held this family down. Look at me, Baba. I've got your broad shoulders and your booming voice, so stay silent, Baba. You didn't speak anymore. This poem was written in two parts. Before and after the carpal tunnel, I suffered scribbling it down. My mother, she held my hands and stroked my hair for three straight days in that hospital. And she never complained of carpal tunnel once. So this is for the aching limbs. This is for the sleepless nights and the endless fights. This is for every silent treatment I ever treated you to. I should never have treated you that way. So I accept every forehand my face felt. In fact, now, I think I'm grateful for them. For the recipes in your palms must be printed on my jaw. Now, however my wife may be, maybe she'll run her fingers down my cheeks and learn those recipes. Maybe she'll cook them for my kids. Maybe she'll hold their hands and stroke their hair. And maybe one day, they'll write a poem just like this. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I've got one more piece. Um, before I start it, though, I, I, I really want to emphasize how much I really like workshopping. When it comes to writing poetry and performing and, and all that, we, we, we as poets try to work together as often as possible, because you can find creativity kind of bounces off other creative people, and you start finding creative recesses within yourself that you never really thought you had. So as a result, um, every April is um, International Poetry Month. And as such, artists are encouraged to partake in a challenge where they write one poem a day every single day for the month of April. Uh, the result is called the Dirty 30. And um, I decided to start a, a page, basically, where people could join and post up their, their, their works of art, uh, whether it be a line or a full piece. And we started off with about 50 people last year. And 
at the end of last April, the one that just passed, we ended up with about a thousand something. So we've got quite a few people on this page and everyone's really, really into it, posting every single day. And I have to sit there and read through all of them. I, I, I try and post prompts so that people can write outside of their creative boxes. And I try and pick a favorite every single day. And as a result, we, I ended up with you know these 30 favorite poems that I had, these 30 picks of the day. So I said, okay, what can we do with this? So I put it into a book and we printed it and it looks amazing, if I do say so myself. Um, and all the proceeds for this book uh, are, are going towards uh, the funding of education for Syrian refugees in Turkey. Um, the launch for this book is actually tomorrow uh, at Trades Hall uh, on Ligon Street and Victoria Street. So if you guys aren't doing anything tomorrow, please feel free to come down. We'd love to have you. We're going to have some performances. You can see me again. High five me if you really like high fives. Uh, and maybe I'll even give you a hug. Um, so yeah, if you guys are down to come to that, please do. Um, the point being is that, yeah, we really, really like workshopping. And this next poem is fairly new like i've only performed it i think twice uh, i still haven't memorized it and uh, i'm keen to see what you guys think about it i bet the waterfall credits itself for the for, for the river's existence i bet the river begs to differ and i bet neither cascade nor creek would pay homage to the cloud i am my grandmother's grandson first she used to sit with me on the balcony amidst, gu amidst gunfire applause and she'd slip me hands full of diamonds she found herself. The exchange was made with wide-eyed acceptance on my end and destructively passive regret on hers. Like she could have made rings out of them and married her mistakes but gave me the tools to make my own instead. As she watched me tuck the jewels away, she reached into her pocket, pulled out two more and dropped them into her tea. Regret is a bitter beverage. But I would. One day I'll learn to like it, she'd say. I am a twisted tongue. I have Arabic and English tucked into each of my cheeks, so depending on how I'm trying to love, I forget which side to lean on. I never told the speech therapist I figured it out before she did, though. But Teta, Teta was easy. She was five daughters, four different kinds of medication, three sons left, two syllables, and only one language. So I always leaned right when I spoke to her. And she learned never to sit on my left side. But awad, one day I'll learn to like it, she'd say. I am a cell phone in a foreign country, roaming. Because, see, English is a fancy restaurant. It's nice, but it's not that satisfying. With at least 18 words for love, I come from a frickin' smorgasbord. <laughs> Teta taught me how to dig my teeth into letting the past go by planting it in your garden, growing chickpeas and making falafel with them. There are at least six words for love in her kitchen. One is in the recipe, two are in the grooves on her palms, and three are in the number of times she screwed this dish up before it got this good. Screw-ups and cardamom kernels are hard to swallow. Teta cooks with both of them. And at the dinner table, we are her students. And she, the reluctant teacher, would force-feed us adulthood until we didn't look like umkum abatamikon, like our mothers never fed us. One day I'll learn to like it, she'd say. I left home too young to know what oceans were. 
I was at the airport with a pocket full of diamonds, a leaning tongue, and a falafel sandwich, crying. She crushed two diamonds and sprinkled them into my water bottle. One day you'll learn to like it, she said. She is the cloud credited for the ocean that separates us. WhatsApp connects us sometimes. And after we've discussed the weather, I cry. I haven't learned to like this. I know. Thank you so much, guys. Abdul Hamoud, 18 words for love. Oh, amazing. Our, fi not all. Our final poet for the day is the recently titled Victorian Slam champion, Abe Nook. Abraham Abe Nook is the founder and director of Creative Rebellion Youth, spoken word poet, hip hop fanatic, MC, and an author. He developed his craft from a realization of freedom of speech. Sudanese born Abe was illiterate, illiterate when he and his family arrived in Australia in 2004 as UN High Commission designated refugees. Since realizing his illiteracy, he began reading and writing to, his, to improve his lyrical content for hip hop music. Uh, when it became apparent to him that the best thing you can do for yourself is to feed your mind. Would you please welcome Abe Nook. <laughs> I don't want to give you guys so next because if I stand on here, you guys are going to end up like this <laughs> the whole time. Uh, and uh, just look, just see how instantly your next went up? I'm going to spare you that. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it still uh, gives me the shivers and it makes me blush from time to time whenever I hear. Uh, myself being introduced because let's face it uh we've all got a genius within us that allows us to learn to create at some point in time it's just a matter of realizing when you want to click into that uh i'm gonna give you a quick um brief backstory of how i came to be where i came to be i've got a mother who insists on her children waking up quite an uh, quite at a very early hour of the morning um who here has got the mother who does the same thing? Okay, cool. Uh, this, is, this is a bit honest. Who here pressed the snooze button once this morning? Okay, that's honest. Twice? <laughs> this is getting better. Three times? Woo! You had your hand up the whole time. Four? <laughs> okay, if you press the snooze button five times, you really did not want it to get up. Uh, who here took the phone and slammed it against the wall? Yeah, we got smartphones. We're not going to risk that no way they're just gonna bounce back uh <clears throat> my mother grew up in times where they were dodging bullets and bombs and so forth uh and this morning once more uh i just went back recently went back home and she's very philosophical at the very early hours of the morning she said you guys live in a country where the only morning disturbance is the sound of the alarm clock and even with that, people press the snooze buttons. Um, 
And I thank you for everyone who put up their hands. I realize who here presses whose button and who didn't. But emphatically, she emphasizes this one point. Do not gamble with your time. Uh, she says that simply because in her mind, freedom is the ability to do whatever you want to do in the space of 24 hours. That's all there is to it. That's what everybody else wants, and that's what I got, and that's what brought me to stand in front of you today. I appreciate feedback um, as much as the next guy. Uh, I finished a recent event, and a lady walked up to me, and she said, uh, <clears throat> I loved hearing you talk. I fell asleep hearing your voice. <laughs> I wanted to say, you should go back to bed, wake up and think about what you said. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't have it in me. I didn't have it in me. <clears throat> so f find your way through this, um, through this poem. Every one of us is afraid of something. Every one of us fears the consequences of our own actions, and hence we are indecisive. But here's the thing, though. You have nothing to lose but a life to win. In 1999, my mother made a decision, and she woke up at 3 in the morning and made sure we pack our backpacks. And I didn't have nothing to pack into mine. All I wanted to pack into that very small backpack was a bunch of my friends and my childhood. Of course, I couldn't fit everyone into it, so I noticed along the way that I had to start deserting friends and leaving behind things that I shouldn't. So I started numbing my own emotions, and you couldn't get close to me because I grew up in streets so rough, the concrete was soft. Grew up in the back streets where you knew the only way to earning street grade was learning to box, jabbing with your left and protecting with your right. But I'm soft. And to be an artist, you have to be mellow. Took the back streets to finding my way through empty pages, blank lines, and allowing my pen to allow me to trace my emotions. And how that came to be is something that I still don't know. I still have my own fears and my own insecurities. Even as I unpack my backpack here in the back of my mind, I still got that fear that one day we might pack and leave someplace. Because if you can't make anywhere home, you will forever be searching. If you can't remember your friends and its childhood, you will forever be searching. I don't speak on fear often, but I speak on the simple basis that I still got much to make with the time that I've got. I'm still learning from a mother who has no formal education, and I refer to her as the uneducated philosopher. Looking at my time and realizing how much do I have left. Am I gambling with my hours, with my time, putting in some artworks, writing some poems, writing some raps that I hope somebody somewhere will realize that your story will not be told unless you step up. Every one of us is afraid of something, but every one of us is the sum total of your own thoughts. 
So what do you fear? Whoa. It got told pretty fast. Thank you. Thank you. Close up with this. Have more dreams than you could possibly imagine coming true. It's why we're here. Don't be real. Be amazing. The best way to serve is when your dreams come true and it's fulfilling when it impacts the lives that surround you. For you and I can render no greater service than to make the most of ourselves. And unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. When Dr. Seuss wrote those words, he wrote them knowing one day we would read them. That one day is today and that someone who has to care a whole awful lot is you. Care. Because strangers are only a handshake away from becoming our friends. What's more important about caring for one, one another is caring about the place we call home. And this earth, as big as it is, is our only home. We have grown distant, yet have become closer than ever. And that's the greatest advantage of our time, the fact that we can connect with strangers from different parts of the world and form instant friendships and share the things that challenge us, the things that frighten us, and also the things that make us hopeful. Because of our dreams, the world becomes our responsibility. Each one of us has got to step up to the plate sooner or later or realize you've done nothing. It's not a matter of competing, but get into this flow of learning to leave traces for others to follow through. We have grown distant, yet have become closer than ever. And that's the greatest advantage of our time. So take advantage of that. I'm going to close up with this one poem, yeah? <laughs> I'm one of eight children. Anyone who's got that many numbers? No? <laughs> you understand. You understand. You understand. One of the greatest advantages of being one of the eight, eight children at home is that whenever anything breaks at home, I'm innocent till proven guilty. <laughs> That's just the way it works. And most of the time, I'm proven guilty by the jury of my peas. Huh. <laughs> works out just fine. Works out just fine. Uh, my sister gave birth to a beautiful beautiful daughter uh, who just turned one. And I was, you know, I, I want to be that good uncle, but I'm never home. So whenever I'm home, I'm bribing this kid with as many chocolates as I possibly can. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going broke, <clears throat> but it's all good. Uh, on her first birthday, my sister didn't want to celebrate it. And we've never celebrated birthdays at home, so, didn't, so she didn't understand why I was making a big deal out of it. Uh, but of course, I insisted, went to calls, got a cake, got a birthday, got a birthday candle and everything, put it together. My family didn't even know the song, Happy Birthday. But thanks to YouTube, <laughs> we got that worked out pretty fast. Um, and of course, my niece got all these toys, and I was babysitting her. <clears throat> and it was realizing in an instant the world she was going through. The fact that she lives in a, in a country where she can make anything of herself at any given time, at any given place. Babysitting 
my little baby girl. She looked up to me, and I realized she wanted direction as she was finding her way through these pieces of puzzles. And that's when I noticed I am not qualified to put together pieces of Lego. <laughs> but I was embarrassed to tell her. She is as curious as any kid would ever be. But in that moment, it occurred to me, I've never played with Lego, but I've learned to construct stories using the 26 letters from the alphabets. And without adult supervision, I think I figured it out. <laughs> that hopelessness comes from the inability to express yourself. So can you imagine how hopeless I felt when I didn't know how to read or write? When my world was limited and my imagination existed in small proportion and when no one took the time to encourage or remind me that I am more than my perceptions and that no dream was ever too small and I should value my thoughts often because they are an investment of future outcomes. I envied every person I've met who showed me a diary they kept growing up. I despised them secretly because I wanted their memorable childhood and how bright the future looks as they become the grown-ups they've always wanted to be. While I'm left drowning in the sea of options, trying to make something of myself, but I didn't know how to construct, so I longed to read and wish nights after the other, reminding myself never to wait on a shooting star, but to wish on the brightest one I see. Just to be able to write. I was once the piece that never fitted the puzzle, looked at and quickly overlooked. Instead, I chose to blame no one because if something were to change, it had to be me. I've never played Lego, but I've learned to construct stories using the 26 letters from the alphabets and without adult supervision, I think I figured it out. When my baby niece looked at me for directions, all I could think about was, when you grow up and you get told, put away childish things. Remember, everything that existed before you and what will exist after you is due because of the simple fact that people were brave enough to imagine and to learn to trust their own imagination. But of course, it's very simple to want to become the piece in other pieces, in other people's puzzles. When you grow up and get told, put away childish things, don't put away your story. And in most cases, Quit trying to be the piece, become the puzzle. Big thank you to Abe Nook, to Ebony Moncrief, to Abdul Hamoud for their amazing performances today. Please feel free to go up and have a chat to them, work, find out what they're up to, what projects they're working on. They're really nice people, I promise. And they're doing amazing things, putting on events, creating anthologies, winning slam champions. Thank you so much. This has been the last of the spoken word sessions uh, put together through a partnership between Multicultural Arts Victoria and the Melbourne Festival as part of Igniting Imaginations. This Sunday will be the final event as part of that uh, partnership at the Foxtel Festival Hub, a free music event from 3 p.m. Uh, showcasing incredible talent from our emerging refugee asylum seeker community. So we've got an uh, Afghani singer-songwriter called Reza Fazeli. We've got a beautiful Persian singer called Saharanas Kia, who is collaborating with a Ghanaian kora player uh, and a... Uh, 
jazz guitarist, so it'll be a pretty amazing collaboration. And then Lem Lem Band, which uh, was put together through Multicultural Arts Victoria's Remastered Miss program, and uh, is electronic music with Amharic Ethiopian scales. So should be a pretty interesting afternoon if you want to come down. Again, 3 p.m., Foxdale Festival Hub, free. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, coming today and enjoying this beautiful afternoon of poetry at the M Pavilion. Safe travels home.